We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. You know, it's clear what happened. The guy roughed our kicker. You know, jumps off Cyrus, roughs our kicker, and then... Uh, and then because we had to go out and attend to him, um, and it wasn't called roughing the kicker, then we had to spike the ball so we can come back in and kick. You know, he needed a little time there, but, uh, you, know, we, you know, we saw him go down and our trainers ran out, and, and that's, that's what we had to do. And then, of course, they, uh, they got to put the K ball out there, and, and they don't reset the clock. So uh, from an efficiency standpoint, I think he could do a little better than that. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pile Report Podcast. I'm Drew Gear, your host. That's Chris Kruger, our producer. And we've got Reed Ferguson in the house, Buffalo Bills long snapper, currently on the practice squad. He's sitting in with us tonight. Reed. Only specialist in the league on the practice squad. That, that is a badge of honor right there, my friend. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me in. Anytime. We appreciate it. Thanks for stopping by. So, boys and girls, another week, another gut punch of a loss. The Buffalo Bills are now dropped to 4-5 and five and lost the franchise's sixth straight Monday night football game. That puts us one loss behind the Rams, who have seven straight. And they hold the record for the longest active streak of now winning Monday night football games. I mean, at this point, I just don't want to play anymore. Because then you're agonizing over it all weekend. You're watching all these other games play out. Monday comes, you're super pumped about it, and then you just have to go to work in the morning. Well, you didn't have to go to work today. No, thank God. Thank God for everybody involved. Folks, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the fact that tonight, as we're recording, the U.S. presidential election. I mean, come on. Now, as we sit here in the kitchen... We are watching the election on, what is this, Fox News? Reed was kind enough to put it on for us. And we are watching the election results roll in throughout the podcast. As we sit here and kind of talk some football, I'd be remiss not to bring up the fact that when was the last time you got to do a podcast during an election? 
Never, because we're only, <laughs> what, a year into this? Just over a year? Elections are they're a funny thing. You know, you watch it, and you realize that it's going to impact everything. And then I think some people have this idea in their heads that afterwards, everything's immediately different. Like that South Park episode where Obama got elected, and then everyone was partying in the streets. I feel like that's honestly how some people feel things are. Like, hey, if so-and-so gets elected, the whole universe is just going to explode. No, it doesn't happen like that. I think everyone just needs to calm their tits a little bit here. So, i got to ask, does anyone else feel like this season is slipping away from us? Yes. I mean, there's so much football left to play that I feel like it's premature to say that. But every loss that we've sustained here, it just feels big. You know, especially this one. It's just, right now we're currently sitting in third place in the AFC East. We're 12th overall in the conference. And we only have one conference win. Maybe that's why we're 12th, because we can't win in the conference. Well, we all, we've played three conference games. We're one and three. So this upcoming stretch of games is going to be huge. What was that? That would be four. Four? <laughs> yeah. One and three would be four. <laughs> See, here's Reed correcting me in my math already. Good lord. It's going to be a long night here, folks. As always, we're going to kick off the we're going to kick off the podcast with the Bills news update. The Bills announced today that center Eric Wood has a broken leg and he's going to miss what is likely the rest of the season. It remains to be seen whether or not he's going to be put on IR or if they're going to be patient and see if he can make some kind of a comeback. The injury occurred on a play in which a Seattle defender was engaged with John, uh, Jonathan Mills? John Martin? John, uh, M- John Miller. 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 God, we don't know our team. They were engaged on a running play. It was the goal line, it was the goal line play in which Mike Gillies has scored his touchdown. And... Unfortunately, the two of them just fell directly into Eric Wood's leg. And now on TV, you could see it. You know, I knew he was going to be hurt badly as soon as I saw the replay. But, you know, it's a huge loss for this team, especially considering all of the other injuries that we're currently trying to fight through. And it's the second time that he's suffered a broken leg in his career. I mean, I'll say that I, I Ryan Groy did what he could to keep us you know, afloat in that game. But you can tell as the fourth quarter went on that there was a drop-off. You know, There was a drop-off in the, produ- the play that we were able to get out of our offensive line once Eric Wood was out of the lineup. Yeah, I'm going to get surgery tomorrow morning and um, up here in Buffalo and then uh, start the road to recovery um, by putting a plate. Uh, I mean, I guess when you have a long injury, you can talk about injuries like this, but... Uh, by putting a plate on the fibula where it broke, um, it's supposed to speed it up and ensure that it gets a proper heel. So we're going to go ahead and do that tomorrow and uh, get on the road to recovery. Um, generally, it's like a six- to eight-week injury, um, which would mean we'd need to reel off some wins for me to have a shot at coming back this year. But that's my hope. Um, you know, injuries happen, and, you know, my roster spot I may go to IR. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure, but... Um, I sure will be pulling for the guys and doing whatever I can to help. And that audio comes to you from WGR550.com. I mean, it's not his first rodeo with a broken leg. 
first and foremost. Not in its gruesome of injury. Oh, not nearly. In fact, Reed Ferguson actually just got to see the leg injury to Eric Wood, his first one, where he broke his leg in three places. He got to see that for his first time tonight, and he, just the look on his face. I mean, Reed, what were you thinking when you watched that clip of Wood getting rolled up on like that? Brutal. Oh, it's gruesome. Summed up in one word, brutal. And you never want to, you know, you never want to see that happen to a guy. <clears throat> Absolutely not, and definitely not a teammate. Oh yeah, and and I think the hardest thing is, I'm a fan, but I'll tell you, I've been watching football games and I've watched injuries happen to players who aren't. Watch injuries happen to players who aren't on my team, and even then, you still it just turns your stomach because at the end of the day, these guys are just doing their job. To see something like that happen, I mean, that could affect that guy's ability to walk, to play with his kids when he's older. So it, it could affect the leadership in the locker room because you know he's a leader. Oh yeah, and that's one of the, well. He actually in the interview he went on to talk about the fact that even if they put him on IR, you know, he's like, I'm going to be on crutches, but they better let me down there on that sideline. He's like, you know, I think it, he's like it's been done to me before where you know they wouldn't let me down on the sideline. He goes, I think that's trash because I can be useful, I can help, I can, you know, I can coach up the younger guys and I can contribute, which speaks to the character of Eric Wood. I mean, that's just who he is. You know, he wants to. He's all about his teammates. You know, and he'll he'll put this back. He would every game he goes out there and tries to put the team on his back. You know, he's the only guy who touches the ball on every single play, aside from Tyrod Taylor. So, I think it's I don't know. It's it's definitely a huge injury, and it's going to be interesting to see how we game plan around it and who steps up to fill that role going forward. I mean, we've got Ryan Groy who came in because he was the only guy active to fill that role. Now you've got Patrick Lewis, you know, who wasn't active for the game. So Patrick Lewis was signed, oddly enough, from the Seahawks. He started he started playoff games for them, and he took them on their run to the Super Bowl that they eventually ended up losing to the New England Patriots. So it'll be interesting to see if they activate Lewis and start getting him more involved in you know walkthroughs and in workouts and in practices throughout the week to get him you know ready once we come back off this bye week. Since we're talking about last night's game, another thing I want to touch on here: Richard Sherman. Okay, now this has been one of the most polarizing storylines coming out of last night's game. Dirty hit, dirty player, or is it just one bad play? Okay, is it one bad play made by a guy who's maybe just overly aggressive? Now, we all know Richard Sherman. I mean, the guy's not exactly a wallflower. He stands out. He's he's outspoken. He's got a very uh, bold personality. So, obviously, people know who he is. But is he a dirty player for the hit that he put last night? I think we can all, I think we can all universally agree that the hit itself was not a clean one. You know, I, I can't... I get his... I, I get his story... Of you know, hey, I was trying to, I was trying to block the, I was trying to block the kick, and I accidentally ran into the kicker. But anyone who watches that sees it differently. I mean, Dean Blandino saw it differently. I see it differently. You know, Eric Wood was even talking about it again in his interview with Chopin the Bulldog from WGR550.com earlier today. If I jumped offsides on a field goal and he went to kick it. <clears throat> And I knew I jumped outside. So I would try and block it because otherwise, if it goes in, it counts. Um, if he honestly was making an attempt purely at the ball, then that's a smart play. It doesn't appear so. He kind of goes right into Dan. 
which is a dirty play. But but that's on the refs to throw the flag there. That was a big, big cluster at the end of the half there. And then you to take it a little bit farther, I mean, afterwards, things kind of, I wouldn't say escalated, but then later on in the game, there was a scene with Rex and Sherman on the sideline. And Rex was talking, you know, you could tell Rex was saying something, and Sherman was kind of, you know, making faces. I mean, here's Rex Ryan talking about the incident. Well, no, he's mean mugging like he's doing and, you know, whatever. But, uh, you know, the guy's a great player, but he, he did a, you know, I mean, I guess it wasn't as bad as I thought. You know, I thought he, I thought he roughed our kicker, you know, when uh, you know, it was a ridiculous play. Yeah, no question. Then he's over on the sideline basically taunting us. And uh, so I had some words. I mean, I think I said that, you know, you're too good a player to act like an, like an ass. I think that's what I said. That was Rex Ryan, BuffaloBills.com, post-game interview last night. So, I mean, you hear it. I mean, obviously people are upset about it. And Rex, I mean, you know Rex. Rex isn't going to shy away from <laughs> – he's not going to shy away from anything like that. The consensus seems to be, not just from the people who were watching me throw chairs in my basement, or the people who were in attendance at the game, or the announcers on TV, or the coaching staff of the other players. The fact is, everyone who saw it is kind of in consensus of the fact that it was a, it was a dirty hit, or that at least it was unnecessary. And that brings us to Walt Anderson. Okay, That's, that's the last thing I want to talk about here, since we're talking about Bill's news. One of the longest tenured referees in football, he just egregiously botched a series of calls, not just a call, but a series of calls right before halftime last night, which cost the Bills three points. And yes, I understand that that didn't change, it didn't cost us the game, but when you look at the complexion of the game from that point on out, it played a big role in its outcome. I mean, the NFL head of officiating Dean Blandino tweeted out mid-game, that Anderson's call was blatantly wrong. And pretty much anybody watching the game, as we said earlier, knew that, just at a first glance. Unfortunately, there isn't anything anyone can do about it because Walt Anderson is, at the end of the day, the only person who currently has the authority to make the call. So, in an article written this afternoon that I was reading from Pro Football Talk's Mike Florio, he explained that you know, because they were talking about, okay, so if Dean Blandino can tweet out five minutes after the blown call that it was, in fact, a blown call, why can't he reach out to them and just say, hey, listen, I'm here at the offices, and I'm seeing this, and I, this is the call. I'm the guy. I'm the VP of officiating. You know, why can't, you know, here's what the call should be. The, the short answer is because the rules don't allow for it. Also, maybe because people would expect him to do that for every game, not just the primetime games. So That's you can't true. you can't just have it for one game. That's true. You would have people would expect him to to be watching every Sunday one o'clock and four o'clock game. Okay, that's fair. <clears throat> that's just my that's just what I was thinking. Now I'm sorry, but it seems pointless to have all this technology and have the ability to get something that's been their thing for forever with all these extra replays and all this other bullshit. Is that we have to get it right. Okay, well then if you want to get it right, let's make sure we're getting it right, even if the guy on the field gets it egregiously wrong. 
Let's make sure that there's someone there who can utilize the technology that we have at our already have at our disposal. It doesn't cost anything extra. Maybe you have to hire a handful more people. But we already have the technology. The infrastructure exists to do it. You just don't want to. I mean, it, it, it's mind-blowing and it's frustrating to fans of football everywhere. I mean, between player safety issues, issues over rules being forced, you know, enforced correctly and evenly from one game to the next, or even in the same game, and a lack of new competent quarterbacks entering football, the NFL's list of things that are driving fans away from the game just seems to keep getting bigger. I mean, it's crazy. They, they, they complain that the ratings are down. They've got poor... The games that they schedule have been poor. I mean, I think we can all agree the Chicago Bears this year didn't need through multiple primetime games. Four. They didn't need that. At the same time, the Cleveland Browns on Thursday night. Who's tuning in to watch that? Every every team gets a Thursday night. Every team gets a, a primetime game, and so okay. the teams that suck get Thursday. So, so Cleveland's why, on Thursday. So why are you making it Cleveland and the Ravens? Because it's two, a divisional matchup. The two sub five hundred football teams, though. Well, I think every team gets a Thursday game, but then every team's guaranteed a primetime game. But the, right. the, the problem I have, but it's here, Thursday considered primetime, though. Yes, right. That's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. Thursday is considered primetime. So, I guess when you look at the slate of primetime games that they've rolled out, this last this last week's game is probably the most compelling game that I've watched all season in primetime. I mean, none of the games that I've watched have come down to the wire. None of them have been. Well, what about that Sunday night game between Seattle and Arizona? Six six tie. See, who wants to watch that though? People that like defense. Me. <laughs> Reed Ferguson because there's a lot of punting. There's a lot of punting, a lot of long snapping going on. Oh boy! All I know is that there's a lot of things that the NFL needs to look into changing, and I think that this the office is having the ability. If they see that something's wrong, they should be able to tell the officials, "Hey, you're wrong. Here's the reasons why you're wrong. Go make the right call." If they actually cared about getting it right, they would do that. So the fact that they haven't just speaks to the fact that they don't. I think it's garbage. And that brings us to our Week 9 recap. Okay, Stats of the game, Buffalo Bills against the Seattle Seahawks. First off, the Bills. 12 of 17 on third down, good for 70%. That's our highest mark of the season. That's going to be the highest mark all season. Book it. The Bills had 162 total rushing yards and two touchdowns. Russell Wilson threw 20, he went 20 of 26, 76% completion percentage, 282 yards and two touchdowns, and another rushing. And our defense had zero turnovers for the third straight game, all of which were losses. All right, so where to start? Well, first and foremost, since we've got Reed Ferguson in the house here for a few more minutes, I want to get on, there's something. Okay, so we've been hanging out with Reed now for a couple days. And it's been like attending a class. Professor Ferguson, you know, we watched the Alabama-LSU game, obviously his alma mater, my favorite college football team, and that was a good time. And his little brother is the current long snapper for LSU. And he played with a lot of the guys who are still on the roster. So it's, it, was a, it was a good, you know, he obviously has a lot of ties there, so it was, it was kind of fun to get to watch the game with him. But I think one of the things that made it even more interesting was being able to watch it with him in a game where there were so many punts and so many special teams plays, 
He would have us, you know, obviously we're DVRing the game. He would have us stop things and replay punting plays or replay, you know, field goal attempts. A, because he wanted to see how his brother was doing, because as a long snapper, he understands the mechanics of it. He understands the ins and outs of long snapping. But also, he took the time to break down these plays for us. And it was really interesting to get to see how a special teams play develops and what all goes into long snapping. So, Reed, like when you were telling us, one of the, one of the more interesting things he told me was kind of showing us where the strike zone is for a long snapper. Now, Reed, can you go just explain a little bit? Like, what are your targets between a punt and between snapping for a field goal try? Uh, okay, so basically for a field goal, um, you've got the you know the holders on a knee, kickers taking his steps. Um, you're basically aiming, you know, if you can visualize the holder with his front knee on the ground, back knee bent up, uh, and, his, and his back shoulder up against his back leg, you're basically aiming for you know the end the the inside of his elbow, um, inside of his knee, you know where his thigh and his knee crease. Uh, that you know, that's that's pretty much the you know the optimal aiming spot you know to hit him, obviously with the laces out. But um, and then I guess for you know for a punt, you you, you want to be within the punter's body. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know you don't want to lead him lead him the wrong way, whichever direction he's punting it at. Um, you know whichever direction he's he's trying to kick towards. It. But you don't want to be you know you don't want to be too high. Obviously, you don't want to be too low. You want to be right in that you know thigh to Mid belly area, uh, you know, most of the time. So, so I gotta ask. You just touched on something that I think is really interesting. You said that you made a comment about the laces being out. Now, how difficult? I mean, how much control as a long snapper do you have over where the laces end up when you snap the football? Uh, we, I mean, you do it enough times. You, you've got you, you know, pretty much complete control over it. Um, you find out how many, you know, enough times you watch film, millions of snaps over the years, but you find out, you know, how many rotations from your hands until the holder's hand, depending on where he catches it, and then you figure out the rotation of your ball from there. So for punt snaps, obviously, I would say most, if not all, of the snappers in the country do, regardless of playing level, snap the ball with the laces in their fingers for a better grip. Mm-hmm. Um, just because it's a lot harder to get the laces up for a punter at 15 yards. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for field goals, a lot of guys, myself, Garrison, my brother I know, we don't snap with the laces in our fingers just be- because the, of the way the rotation works on the snap. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I actually have the the opposite panel of the laces, the opposite crease in my in my fingers. Mm-hmm. So it's a complete 180 from the laces being in my hand. If that if you know if that makes sense, but no, it makes sense. Um, and then that that gives Colton the laces out. So uh, every holder is different, every snapper is different. Mm-hmm. But you it's know you find that happy medium out. where he catches it at the same spot. You you snap it you know, at the same speed every time so it doesn't over-rotate, doesn't under-rotate, and then, you know, you can get laces out consistently. Now, the reason I bring this up, so on Saturday night there was a there was a field goal that LSU attempted that got blocked. 
Okay, now it got blocked. And so right off the bat, I'm thinking, I, I'm kind of blaming the kicker for this. Reed, being Professor Ferguson, we, we rolled back the tape, and we broke the play down, and he illustrated for us how it's not just the snapping, though, it's also the blocking on your kicks and your punts and things like that that matter. And he showed where there was a guy on the outside who's their fullback, I believe, the fullback yes. for LSU. Who was supposed to? He was supposed to maintain an inside position on the kick block formation, and instead he got scared by a fast outside rusher and just moved his plant leg. And when he moved his post leg, an Alabama player just shot the gap that was created and got in the backfield enough to disrupt that kick. It was really cool hearing it come from someone with knowledge of special teams. So then he dropped this other nugget of information on us on Saturday night where he told us that Seattle is the only team in the NFL that's currently employing a rookie long snapper, someone who's never done it before this season at the pro level. So, so Arizona did it for a few weeks, and then they and, brought in um, they brought in a, a veteran guy. Which occurred out. right after the Bills debacle. Right. After that botched snap that led to an Aaron Williams touchdown, they let that guy go and brought in a veteran guy because – uh, and clearly, you can see that this is a position that's hard to gauge. The transition from the NCAA to the NFL isn't easy for a long snapper. Now, so I have to ask, what is different as far as contact, as far as the blocking your responsibilities? How different is it from what you were doing at LSU compared to what the Bills have you doing now? Uh, I would say the biggest part is the blocking mm-hmm. aspect of, of you know of the whole operation. Um, you know that that would probably be probably be the most you know difficult aspect of the ch- of the mm-hmm. change from college to pro mm-hmm. uh and you know there's so few teams in college nowadays that that run um the pro style you know off the top of my head Alabama's one of them um uh, and I know a few other teams do it but you know everybody in college takes advantage of the rule where you don't have to wait for the ball to be kicked like you do at the pro at the pro level, so you know the spread punt works to your advantage. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all of the time, basically. You, you you know you block somebody for half a second, and then you can take off downfield, and you get a lot more guys downfield, which basically equals less punt return yardage given yeah. up for your team, depending on how good your punter is. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, you know, if you can get consistently good punts, hang time, distance, direction, and get, you know, get your your athletes down the field off their blocks. You, I mean, it's. I think Florida did it a few years ago. They had a really good punter. Uh, I can't remember his name, but I think they gave up, you know, less than ten return yards all year. Well, and so this all becomes important because you take a look at the Bills game last night, and this is the reason why we're starting with this. Right out of the gate. Explosive play right off the bat. We force we force a punt, and you see the the Bills go with a very aggressive punt block formation. And right off the snap, I mean, obviously we saw the punt get blocked, and I'm so busy cheering. You know, obviously Reed is looking at it. Reed was watching the game with us. He immediately calls out. You know, he's like, "Hey, rewind that. I want to see that play." But I'm pretty sure that guy just blew all of his blocks. So sure enough, you know, after we're done celebrating the fact that we just blocked a punt and then we've got the ball on their four or five yard line, we roll the tape back 
And what you see is now here is this rookie long snapper who's in college. You can, you can, you can, no one can contact you for a full second. So you can get that, you know, snap it and then get a free release with nobody blocking you where you're running downfield trying to make a special teams tackle. You could tell that that's what happened to the snapper. Now that I've been educated on what goes into blocking from the long snapping position, you can tell that that's what happened to the guy. He completely whiffs. He doesn't block either one of Sergio Brown or Jerry Hughes. And they come unblocked right up the gut in the kicker's face. The personal protector has to block somebody. I think in my in my opinion, he made a poor choice by blocking Sergio Brown and not taking the fastest guy in our defense, Jerry Hughes. But the result is obvious. I mean, and that's a bad play from a rookie from a rookie snapper, but that's probably something you would chalk up to being a rookie mistake. Always takes experience. Yeah, yeah. I mean it and I guess um, one thing I've learned since being in college and then, you know, here, being here uh, with the Bills, you know, after the draft and all the way through training camp and then back here now on the practice squad is um, the funny thing about experience is you get the test first. Yeah. And then the experience after. <laughs> yeah. So, you- so it's back, you know, it's backwards. But um, I think, you know, and a lot of times being being a young guy and learning from, you know, a good snapper like Garrison Sanborn, kind of watching him and learning from what he does. Um, you know, being able to, you know, ease your way and see how he does it day in and day out and, mm-hmm. you know, how he's been successful for, you know, his eighth season now. Um, you know, just, you know, just kind of watching him and seeing how, seeing how, seeing what he does, seeing how mm-hmm. he, uh, how he performs in, day in and day out, and then going from there. No, it's, and that's awesome. And I, I got to say, Reed, you know, thank you so much for coming by and teaching us. Now, you know, not only being on the show this tonight, but for just teaching me more about an aspect of football that I'll be honest, I didn't know anything about. I like to think that I know a lot about the X's nose of football, but I special teams is not my area of expertise. But I've learned a lot just from watching the game with you. So thank you for that. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. <laughs> well, now that now that you're gonna be you're gonna be staying with me while you're here on the practice squad, there are gonna uh, Friday. I want to be in the front yard. I want to take a snap. <laughs> Chris is convinced Deal. that he wants to catch he wants to catch snaps from uh, from Reed here. It's gonna be interesting. Reed, I want to get that on tape. Yeah, I got a tripod. I'll get that set up because Reed, you said you get your snap off like as far as a punt, point uh, six eight seconds. Yeah, that's in a you know about NFL average. I think everybody's around point point six eight. And then you said that equates to about forty five miles an hour. If, <laughs> yeah, if my calculations are correct, forty about forty five miles an hour. Reed, I'm going to be real sad if you break my producer's nose. But if it happens, like Marsha Brady. But but if it happens, I want it on tape. I hope so, he catches with his hands, not his face. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Reed. Well, I appreciate you stopping by to be on the show list tonight. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. So, I mean, I mean, last night's game. I mean, that was the just the first play that really set the tone for the game. You know, that block punt that set up the walk-in touchdown from Tyrod Taylor. But then you look at the, some of the other positives from the game. Third down offense. Okay, for the first time in what feels like weeks, the Bills finally had some success on third down, which kept the game close even after we lost the lead. 
How about the end of the game? You went and took a piss, third and 21, and you're in the I bathroom. It. I heard it. You heard it, and then we're like, you're staying in the bathroom. Yeah, so then, I had, so then I had to stay in the bathroom. Close the door. For the, for the end of the game. I mean, we had solid metrics and time of possession, our, and our defense looked fresher by the end of the game than they have in the last over the course of the last couple games, simply because we were getting more conversions and keeping the offense on the field longer. I mean, I... I don't know what you chalk it up to. I mean, it was a great, it was a good game plan. Tyrod Taylor played very well, but ultimately, this is the type of thing that the Bills need to find a way to be more consistent with, because that third down success is integral to our team winning football games, or at least being in those games. You know what I mean? And then I want to talk a little bit about the defense. Okay, our front seven and Sack Lawson. That's right, Sack Lawson. Russell Wilson was sacked four times last night. And as a team, the Seattle Seahawks were held to just 33 yards rushing. That's including Russell Wilson's 10-yard rushing touchdown. That's pretty solid. Our front seven just appears to be much, much improved over what they were putting on the field last year. Which seems crazy when you take into account the fact that we had Mario Williams on our defensive line. Lorenzo Alexander last night was the highest-rated overall defender, according to Pro Football Focus. He finished with a sack, a quarterback hit, and a pair of pressures. Jarrell Worthy was right behind him. He ran. He, his run-stopping metrics were big, and he was getting pressure from the A-gap, you know, from the A-gap spot. And then you've got Shaq Lawson collected his second sack in two games. You know, that's good for a young player who isn't, he's seeing limited snaps. You know, the fact that the Lorax has come on the way that he has, and he's really kind of stepped up his play, it's allowed us to do the smart thing, which is to work Shaq Lawson in slowly. You know, he's not, he's seeing very limited snaps, but that's good for his long-term development. You don't want to rush the kid out there and overwhelm him with things. And also, he, you know, maybe potentially set him up to be a liability. Instead, they're putting him in on obvious passing situations, letting him get comfortable going up against tackles in that kind of environment. And I think it's great because if you look at it, the, the sacks that he's gotten have come against teams who have quarterbacks who are typically... Brady and Wilson. To, they're pretty tough to bring down. Russell Wilson because of his mobility, and Tom Brady because of his fast release. Yeah, I mean, he dominated. I mean, and even our linebackers, Zach Brown playing well, Preston Brown playing well. It's like these new faces that we've brought in have drastically improved the play of our front seven. Exactly. You know what I got today? Hmm. A text message. From who? Oh, you know who. From who? The dude I used to work with. Oh, boy. Just laid into me. So much for having the sack leader and tackles leader. Oh, really? So when you came into the season, you knew Lorenzo Alexander would be the sack leader because that was a given. You knew Zach Brown would lead the league in tackles. That was that was obviously a given. That guy's an idiot. Exactly. The fact is that our front seven, is that I'm a big X's and O's guy, watching our front seven play football is becoming one of the bright spots on this team for me. You know, it really is. And I, I, I'm really enjoying it. I think last night we did a good job. You know, they did a they did their jobs. They got pressure. They got sacks. They stuffed the running game. And then you want to look at another positive from last night. McCoy 
with him in the lineup, our rushing game looks solid. And then you look at the quality of the Seattle Seahawks defense. I mean, they've they they tied a game six to six. Yep. They've had they've held teams under twenty points. Well, they were missing Bennett. They were missing Bennett and Chancellor. And last that's night. the thing. You look at how what an impact those two players have on their team. But you take a look at our last couple games, and you look at the impact that that it, having LaShawn McCoy in versus LaShawn McCoy out, our rushing attack really gets off when LaShawn McCoy's in there, which seems like a no-brainer. But I'm, I commend LaShawn McCoy for playing through that hamstring injury to really try and fight for a win for us. He had 120 all-purpose yards. Okay, that's I think it's a fourth or I think it's got to be the fourth time that he's done that this season. Had over a hundred all-purpose yards, probably. And even Gillisley is. God, how do you feel about that bet with Gary? Now oh. the way that Gillisley's been playing. Well, I'll tell you what. I honestly believe that now that I've seen G- Gillisley play, I think he should play more. I mean, last night he only got ten total touches, two catches, and eight rushes. But on his eight rushes, he's averaging 4.3 yards per carry. If this is a long season, rest LaShawn McCoy. Don't run the tires off the guy. Especially now with our record the way it is. We'll need him for next year. I would rather see us see what Jonathan Williams and Gillesley have and kind of save a little bit of LaShawn McCoy's tread. I mean, obviously you can't do that. We're not talking about throwing the towel in and just putting in backups. But what I'm saying is, is let's start. Don't do it until we're officially out. But I'm not even talking about that. What I'm saying is, even in games that we're in, you know, we're not. This season isn't over yet. But I'd like to see Gillesley get more involved because the the more snaps guys like him and guys like Jonathan Williams take, the less wear and tear we're putting on our all star running back. Because Lashawn McCoy is. I mean, you saw it. There was a couple plays where he would just make. He'd take a play that looked like it couldn't go anywhere. And he'd stretch an extra four yards out of it. Whether it was he was supposed to get caught for three yards and instead he turned it into a first down. He just has that ability to him. So let's not waste that. Let's preserve it and let's save it. Maybe it means early on in football games you see more Mike Gillesley. Maybe we hand Gillesley, you know, we start off with McCoy. In the second quarter, we roll a little more Gillesley, a little more Jonathan Williams. And then in the fourth quarter, he can come in and be like a closer. And just come in a little bit fresher when the defense is a little bit a little bit more worn out, and really kind of just put the hammer on these guys. Yeah, I'd like to see them get more snaps for our entire backfield. But you've been harping on that for maybe the last two weeks, where we're not. You don't think that Anthony Lynn is running the ball enough? No, I don't think he is at all. I think that. From an offensive standpoint, that brings me to the next point. I think from an offensive standpoint, we're trying to – I always refer to it as getting cute. But ultimately what it comes down to is we're just trying to do a lot with our quarterback. But that's not the strength of our team. You're talking about a team whose wide receivers have been decimated by injury. You know, We had to go get Percy Harvin out of retirement. Our number one and number two were not with us in training camp, Justin Hunter and Percy Harvin. No, and so that's and so when you're going into a football game like that, you would you would think that conventional wisdom would say lean on your strength and run the ball more, which we had success with. But instead they chose to come out and try to attack through the air, which 
Thank God Tyrod Taylor finally showed up. Okay? We're on the road against one of the best defenses in the NFL. Tyrod Taylor had a night. Okay? He went 27 to 39 for 289 yards, which is a season high for him. And he had a touchdown through the air, tacked on another 43 yards rushing and a touchdown. I mean, you go into into Seattle, one of the most hostile environments to play in, against one of the better defenses in football, and he has that kind of a night. I guess I, my question is, where has that been all season? Now, last night he looked like a very different quarterback than the guy that I've seen through eight weeks of football. That's the first time I've seen him play the quarterback position like that as when it comes to throwing the ball. Because mm-hmm. we've got a very run-heavy offense. And we haven't asked Tyrod to win us a game. And last night he was predominantly throwing. Man, no. And for those of you out there who think I'm just like, that I'm taking a one-knee approach and just kissing the guy's ass. That's not it. Okay, He he wasn't perfect. He had a sheer of mistakes. I mean, he had a number of overthrows. Robert Woods, wide open on a deep ball. There was a couple of the, the, the miscommunication where he threw the pick to Richard Sherman. The fact is, a lot of delay of games, too. I mean, a lot of delay of game. I, I don't know how many things I slammed in my basement last night. A couple how many, chairs. How many times I yelled. What I might have thrown. The fact is that there was a lot of delay of games, and by the end of the game, I could have chewed glass. All, all I probably would have taken was one more, and I would have eaten the rocks glass that I was drinking out of. I mean, but at the end of the day, and he also, and also, Tyrod did. I was watching. I was watching some of the footage from yesterday's game, and in all honesty, there was a there, there was a couple times where downfield Nick O'Leary was open. You know, there was windows for him to get more yardage, but instead he chose – it's almost like he didn't see him, and he just checked it down. Checked it down rather than trying to – It's like ch- first read, check down. Exactly. First read, check down. But, but – Got to go through the progressions. All that being said, I know that here on this show and on Twitter and on all of our other outlets, I've dogged Tyrod Taylor for some of his performances. But, I mean, this is the type of play that we've been waiting to see from him all season. I mean, if anybody here wants to try to find somebody to pin this loss on, it doesn't start with our quarterback this week. Nope. Starts with officiating. <laughs> no. Unfortunately, that honor belongs to our secondary. Oh, no! We suck again! Everyone here thought it was really funny when I was screaming at the TV on the, you know on that Instagram video about our, our just subpar, grossly subpar pass defense against the Rams. We got lucky there with a game-sealing interception for a touchdown. Was it funny watching it last night? Russell Wilson finished the game with a 76% completion percentage. 20 completions on 26 throws. No turnovers. Those are his most impressive numbers as a quarterback since the beginning of the season. It gets worse. Their team only scores an average of 15.6 points per game. And yet we allowed them to double that total. Double it. Over the last few weeks, they've only averaged three deep passes per game. Last week, they only tried one. This, this, last night, they beat us on deep balls of more than 15 to 20 yards 
they started early taking shots. And then they just didn't let up. I mean, I'm taking a look at their statistics here on SportingCharts.com. They, I mean, they posted season highs in multiple categories. I mean, you, it, it's wholly unacceptable when you consider the amount of money and resources that have been put into our defense. Jimmy Graham had season highs for receiving and his first multi-touchdown game this season. But both touchdowns took the same amount of hands. One hand. I mean, they were great catches, but he's Jimmy Graham. You need to treat him like a Rob Gronkowski. Exactly. That's why I put Roby Coleman on him. That This philosophy, and I don't know if it's the offense switching. I still have to go back and study that a little bit more. But I don't know if it's the offense is switching to get a matchup of a tight end on Coleman. But that can't happen anymore. I'm sorry. I just... I'm almost I'm almost at a point now where I'd like to see what Kevon Seymour could do with more slot time. Because he strikes me as the guy. He's a bigger, he can be a little bit more physical. You know, he maybe doesn't know, you know, as a rookie, he doesn't know all the nuances of football the way Coleman does. Roby Coleman, I guess, is what he's going by now. But at the same time, he's got size, and you can't teach that. You can't teach a guy to be six feet tall playing cornerback in the NFL. Covering a tight end, deep speed isn't the most important thing. What matters is that you can size up with that guy and match up with him physically enough to prevent what we saw last night where he's just getting that lob over the top and no one can get physical enough with him to disrupt that. I mean, any Rex Ryan defense is predicated on pressure and solid secondary play. The secondary is what allows him to blitz and to do the things that he likes to do with his linebackers in order to confuse a quarterback. But unfortunately, we haven't seen that this season. And it, 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 just, it just isn't materializing. And that means that even though we've managed to score on offense, we are the eighth highest scoring team in football, and yet we have a losing record because our defense cannot stop anyone from throwing the football. It's... I mean, it's brutal. Last year's defense was seen as an aberration. You know, just something that, hey, once he gets his his type of players and once he gets his coaches and once he gets, Rex gets all of his stuff in place, this is all going to change. But it hasn't. And last season it was failure by our front seven. Now our secondary is the part of our team that's struggling. And these numbers are mind-numbing. I'm just going to run by opponent's scoring percentage. The Buffalo Bills are currently 21st in the NFL. 38.6% of all opponent possessions end up with points. That's over a third. So one out of every three possessions by an opposing team ends up with them scoring. You can't have that. Is that a field goal or a touchdown? doesn't matter either. Points on the board. Points on the board. Receiving yards per attempt. So for every pass attempt taken against our defense... The Bills are 31st in the NFL at 13.9 yards per throw. That's how many receiving yards we've given up for every throw a quarterback has taken this season. That statistic alone right there should be a wake-up call to everybody. And then passing yards per game, we're stuck right in the middle at 17th. 264.8 per game. I mean, it's brutal. I mean, I think the most damning statistic is the is the receiving yards per attempt. Guys aren't tackling. And then when you saw it last night, 
the Seahawks got our defense moving in one direction, and then they'd throw like a short screen or just a short out, and no one would be anywhere near the wide receiver. And then they'd generate a good six, seven yards after the catch. I saw a lot of plays with Graham where as soon as the ball snapped, he would run behind the line out into like the flat on the opposite side that yep. he lined up. Oh, yeah. And, whoa, oh, you were, oh, oh. Oh. oh my God! I had I had some choice words. Yo, Think- that might have been my favorite part of watching you watch football <laughs> was wa- you watching Jimmy Graham run across the line and take two yard passes and then get about fifteen yaks. I mean, it's it's ridiculous and it's killing our football team. We have to find a way. To, and now the book is out. Teams know this about us. So they're going to try to exploit it. we got to find a way to button this up. I mean, I've broken it. I mean, people keep trying to point the finger in all kinds of different directions. Let's be realistic about this. I'm looking at three people. It starts with Stefan Gilmore, obviously. I mean, his struggles have been widely discussed. Now, I'm not sure if it's because of his current. I mean, he's got some current nagging injuries, you know. He's but always had those. But I don't know if it's this. I don't know if it's his, these, these, you know, groin injury, whatever. Or if it's the fact that maybe his agent put, which, and this is a completely, this is a realistic situation. Maybe his agent put a bug in his ear. Hey, you're a free agent next year. Why don't you do the thing that you haven't done throughout your career to this point and just stay healthy for a 16-game season? Because regardless of what your numbers are, you'll have your previous performance to fall back on. And someone will pay you. Just stay healthy. Staying healthy is more important than that. Right now, he's not playing to get his contract. And I know I've been a supporter of Gilmore getting an extension well, the whole summer. And right now, he's not playing. He's not playing his way to the extension that he wants. He's actually playing his number down as far as the Bills are concerned. And I'm pretty sure he's actually going to end up signing somewhere else. Well, the, the, here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing a guy who, the thing that always made Stephon Gilmore good is that when he was on, he was being aggressive on the ball, aggressive with receivers as they're trying to release. He was playing a lot of jam coverage. I just don't see it anymore. He's not playing with that same level of intensity. So like I said, maybe, and it's a very real thing. I mean, you're talking about a young guy who's worried about the rest of his financial future. I can see, and the problem with defense is that it's a read and react type of, you know, if you're playing any position on defense, it's read and react. You see what you see and you react to it as quickly as you can, and that's what makes you effective. The, the phrase is, if you're thinking, you're, if you're thinking, you're sinking. Well, the fact is that if it's somewhere in the back of his head, he's worried about staying healthy, that's going to impede any kind of progress he wants to make. Because he's going to be thinking about how, how can I make this hit or how can I defend this pass safely without getting injured before thinking about making the play. So even if that's only a half second, that half second costs you it costs you completions. And ultimately, that's really hindering his play. And then you get Ron Darby. Last season, Darby was being touted as possible defensive rookie of the year, one of the best young corners in football. This season, he's underperformed, and he struggled with not only zone coverage, but also with press coverage, which was his forte. I mean, you, you take a look at it, and last night, he got burned early by Doug Baldwin. He, he pulled a double move, and Darby just bit the wrong way, trying to play, again, trying to play off coverage. 
and just got torched to the middle of the field on a post route that set up the Seahawks' first touchdown. Then he got beat a second time, and then he got a penalty. And by the end of the first half, he was on the bench. Now, that just goes to show that his struggles are not just recognized by us, the fans, but the coaching staff even recognizes the fact that he's really, really having a difficult time this season. I mean, sophomore slump, I don't know what it is, but there's another position where you wonder why our secondary is struggling. The guys that we're relying on most just aren't performing up to their standard. And then I got to pick on Corey Graham here for a minute. Last night, he just completely failed to put any effort into a tackle attempt to, on Christine Michael as he's coming across the goal line to score that touchdown. I feel like he was a guy who he was never the fastest guy in coverage. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't an elite safety. He was good. He was very good when he played inside the box. He was a physical presence. This season, it seems like he's just playing soft by comparison to what I've seen from him. Which leads me to believe that maybe he really is just showing his age. You know? Now, the biggest question becomes is that all of the struggles of the, you know, these marquee guys in our secondary, is it the play calling? Is it just the players failing to execute? I mean, there's no way to know. We have to watch it and just hope that they figure it out. Week over week, the laundry list of needs for the Bills gets longer and longer. And right now, from where I'm sitting, on top of needing more talented safety, it looks like we might end up needing more help at cornerback, too. I mean, am I wrong, Chris? No, but I think when it comes to the draft, I would look at safety over a corner. Absolutely. I would use more of a uh, I would use more of a safety for the first round, maybe third, fourth round for a corner. Because mm-hmm. Right now, Gilmore is not playing for a contract. Well, well, we've got a long time to we've got a long time to talk about that. But the fact is, is, it seems like we might really need to shake things up at the cornerback position. Now, like I was saying, I'd maybe like to see a guy like Kevon Seymour get some more playing time. You know, you're you're talking about putting Nikhil Roby on a tight end. Maybe a bigger guy with a little more physicality might be able to get that thing done, and it might be able to stop some of the bleeding that we're currently seeing. I don't know, but they got to find some way to change this. And that brings us to our weekly hero and zero of the game. The hero this week, going, the prodigal son returns, Tyrod Taylor. Because they're winners. Winners get to do what they want. T-Mobile did everything he could to help our, keep our team afloat last night. And he deserves a lot of credit for that. I mean, considering how much grief I've given that guy this year and how much I've ridden him for being subpar at his job, he showed up last night in a big way. And I think that he's he's one of the sole reasons we stayed in that football game for as long as we did. And then the zero. It was tough to pick one, so I had to give it to everybody. I'm going to give it to the Bills secondary and Rob Ryan. You blew it! I made the joke last night halfway through the game with a, with a follower of ours on Twitter. The camouflage towels. You know, this week was the salute to service week. The camouflage towels that Jimmy Graham was wearing must have worked because it didn't seem like the defense could see him on the field half the time. I mean, Jesus, we scored 25 points against one of the better defenses in football. But we lost because we allowed a team that only averages 15 points a game to hang 31 on us. I do. And we held them to 33 yards rushing. I do like that in your zero of the week that you did 
You left out. Um, I can't. I can't help because oh. you just went right to secondary and Rob Ryan. You didn't even go for the defensive coordinator. By or mate, is that what he does? Is Who knows? He, is he Virgil? The, he's Virgil. He, he's the defense. We don't know what he does. He he's there. He's, he, he walks shows around. Up, he's, he plays a dummy in rookie training camp. Then Shaq tries to swim around and then rips his shoulder up. We, I mean, we don't know what he does, but it's kind of telling that you left our actual defensive coordinator, who's supposed to plan out our defensive schemes for every game, and you just went to secondary and Rob Ryan. Because according to the media, he is our defensive coordinator. The fact is, is, yeah, you could lump Dennis Thurman right in there with him. But I'll tell you this. Our defense is continuing to trend in the wrong direction, despite strong play from our front seven. This absolutely has to change if the Bills are going to make strides in the coming weeks and even on the next season. You know, I'll be honest. You know, And again, I, I, when I'm drunk, and I think, I think this is something that we're going to... I'm going to start advocating, invoking a rule. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to proclaim a rule, and I'm going to invoke it where I feel is necessary. It's called the nine beer rule. For those of you who follow the podcast, obviously you all know that I drink a bit, and I drink a bit more when the Bills are playing football. I'm, I have a volatile temper. I've said a lot of, I've said some things, and. <laughs> The fact is, is that I think that some of the things that I say should be taken with a grain of salt if and when I've had more than nine adult beverages. Now, if you look on the uh, the board, beer watch, you've been double digits since week two. <laughs> so week one, you had eight beers. Week two and beyond, you've had double digits. Uh, that's that, that's hearsay. That's all nonsense. The fact is, is that during a football game. When I'm so imbibed, I believe that I should be able to invoke the nine beer rule. So when I call for someone's head, I'm not actually calling for them to be fired. It's just that I may be a little bit belligerent and under the influence. And I, I, I think I should be able to reserve the right to take that back once I sober up and come to my senses. I think when we watch away games, I should have your phone. Yeah, maybe I need to just lock my phone up. But the fact is, last night I was proclaiming that I wanted someone fired. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you, because I've, I've defended this coaching staff, and I've said firing people is not the answer. No, but we haven't had a coach last more than three years since Levy. But now my question becomes... Continuity! But now you've seen the spark that getting rid of Greg Roman gave our offense. You've seen it. The results are, the results are there. You know, the tangible things that you can look at, you can weigh against what we saw before the cut was made. Wait, are you saying we should get rid of Thurman? The question becomes, at what point does something have to be done with our defense? Because I'll be honest, we're looking less and less like the Buffalo Bills and more and more like the New Orleans Saints defense that worked under Rob Ryan that he got fired for by the week. And we're more talented than that defense. Yep. So, I I mean, at what point does – I mean, we have the raw talent to work with. I just have to ask the question, at what point – are we going to start utilizing it properly, or is it going to start performing up to its standard? Because if it's not going to do, it can't just do it on its own. It takes the players, but it also takes coaching. You know, at some point, they need to be held accountable as well. And that brings us to the AFC East roundup. The Patriots run a bye this week, so thankfully we didn't have to watch them pummel another garbage football team into oblivion. 
I mean, it's it's not even worth watching. I used to like watching Patriots games on the off chance, hoping that they would lose. Now I don't even bother. I don't even bother. It's a waste of my time. <laughs> the Patriots are coming off their bye week this this upcoming Sunday, and they're going to be playing the Seattle Seahawks at home, which might be the only difficult game left on their schedule outside of their trip to Denver. But Denver hasn't exactly been playing that well. No. I mean, this might present the only real challenge that they see for the rest of the season. I mean, it's... I cannot disagree there. Christian, if you're listening to this, screw you guys. And then in what was actually a pretty entertaining game, the Dolphins and Jets squared off against each other in Miami on Sunday. I mean, it was a back-and-forth affair. You know, saw a lot of shots traded, you know, some, some rough hits, and a lot of drives and field goals. So... To get some to get some additional information about this game and to really kind of you know, go over what I thought were some of the quirkier points of the game, we called in. Since we're doing our podcast on Tuesday nights, we have now the ability to call in to our friends over at AFC East Bros Podcast, and we called in under an anonymous phone number that we have from Skype, and we just kind of went over it all with them. And here's some of the audio from that. Now, guys, I got to be honest. Part of the reason I called was because I've got some questions for you. Uh-oh. And Kyle, in fact, Kyle specifically. Uh-oh. So, as you guys know, every uh, every week we do our AFC East Roundup. And that happens to be your guys' specialty. I mean, you're the AFC East bros. So, i got to ask you, the Patriots want to buy. What about this? Uh, I, I mean, this weekend, the Dolphins and Jets, they, they squared off against each other, and it was in Miami. I mean, from what I saw of it, it was a back-and-forth game. I saw a lot of field goals. You know, but, but it seems like there were some really interesting quirks throughout the course of the game. I mean, first off, Sheldon Richardson and Muhammad Wilkerson being benched. Now, you guys touched on that with one of your previous callers. I was reading an article from Pro Football, uh, Pro Football Talk that said it was due to lateness and disregard for team meetings. And apparently it's a consistent issue. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. Kyle... Is that something, I mean, is this something that's widespread? I mean, are there a lot of players on the team who do that kind of thing? Or do you think this is more of an outlier with just these two players? I mean, I guess we'll get more information that's going to come about because now fans want to know about it. And obviously, beat writers, they know what what gets clicks and what gets reads. They know that fans want to read about this more, so they're going to start digging. They're going to start talking to certain people. They're going to start asking the proper questions to acquire that information. Let's be honest. We never really heard about this stuff before. And, and even during the game, we had no reason. You know, um, the halftime reporters are going to say, oh, I talked to Todd Bowles, and he didn't give me any answer as to why, other than saying it was a coach's decision, why we chose to bench them. So no one was clue. You know, people were clueless until even probably the next day when we started to find out more specific information. So, you know, I, I don't know if it's widespread that everyone on the team is doing it because, you know, maybe we would have found out beforehand, but also maybe the reason we didn't know about it is because Todd Bowles never took action on it. You know, maybe if he was benching people earlier, and holding them accountable, which is what he was supposed to do when he came in. You know, so many Jets fans were happy. Oh, Bowles is going to be the guy that's going to hold people accountable because Rex didn't used to do that. Um, but quite honestly, we're seeing the exact opposite. So, you know, I really don't know how many people are taking advantage of this. But what I do know is, as you said, this has been a consistent thing. 
And I wonder if it's because of their status. These guys were first-round draft picks. Mo just got the big $85 million contract over five years. Sheldon's going to get paid somewhere, whether it's with the Jets or someone else. Um, do you let them slide more because of their status? I don't quite know. Well, and I think it's worth noting that Jay Ajay scored that 20-yard touchdown run while they were on the bench. So the question isn't a one-score game. Does it – I mean, it's, that may be the difference. Yeah, I mean – not having those – so now, who do you think? So I guess in that kind of in that kind of a sense, when you see that when you see that that happens, you know, two of your playmakers, your star playmakers on your defensive line are out, and you guys get gashed for this big run. Do you think any negativity from that? I mean, do you think? Because in my mind, and in, I think a lot of rational people would look at it and say, okay, well, it's those players' fault. Do you think there's any part of this fan base that says, hey, why did our coach bench them? Look what happened when he did that. I know there are people that are on both sides of the spectrum with this. There's no doubt about that. But honestly, I think if you're a player and you go ahead and you completely disregard a no-show, forget coming late to team meetings, you should deserve to miss time. Bill Belichick doesn't give any darns. He will bench you for that. And I think oh, that it's really important. I mean, especially with all the limited time on the field, you know, you've got to get so much of your learning done in the classroom, in the with your film study. So if you're missing meetings, that's a big issue. You deserve to get benched for that. Now, the problem is, is that Bowles apparently wasn't doing this from the very beginning. He set up yeah. this bad culture where you could get away with this type of stuff. And all of a sudden, now you want to start holding people accountable and punishing people for this stuff. That's a problem in my book. And I don't know if you guys were on the line when I was talking about, you know, me with students and stuff, but you know, this yeah. stuff, it works in, in more realms than just football. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Also, also, fellas, you got to factor in you're letting your teammates down, most importantly. So, uh, you know, let's you know, screw the coaches and the fan base. You know, the, the guys that you go out to war with every Sunday, if you're not on the field because of your own actions, you're letting those guys in the locker room down. And exactly. uh, that could be even worse than anything else is because you got to look those guys in the eye after the game and they, they could have used you on that play. And, oh, 100%. I mean, I feel like that's part of football is accountability. I mean, you guys both played. Yeah. You're accountable to the guy next to you. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's what it boils down to with, with that scenario with individuals. But like, but like Kyle said, uh, you know, uh, Todd Bowles needed to nip this thing in the butt from the beginning. And obviously he didn't lay down the ground rules because these guys are habitual offenders of this, you know, they're going to keep doing it. And it's like, you know, it's like me. Uh, if, 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 if someone gets caught smoking in the bathroom and the teacher passes by and, you know, they don't give too, you know, darns about it, they're going to keep doing it and doing it until someone, uh, you know, tells them no. But I think it's too late for that now. You know, now that the news is already out that this has been going on for months, it, it makes Todd Bowles look really bad. No, no, I 100% agree. And to your analogy, you're right. If I'm a kid and I've been smoking in the bathroom and you let me get away with it for six months and then in month seven of the school year, you decide to come down on me, I'm going to look at you and say, well, where have you been for the last? Don't act like this wasn't before. Why all of a sudden do you got to you know, bug up your butt about it? So it definitely, you're right. It definitely does change things. And I'm, I'm, I'm just really curious now to watch the Jets team and see how the locker room reacts to this. Because I think, it, I mean, stuff like this can be divisive, for sure. One of the other things I wanted to talk to you about, Kyle, we had a Bryce Petty sighting. 
All right. I saw him. Fitzpatrick took a pretty, pretty rough shot. And he came off the bench. He threw two passes, both for completions for 19 yards. What are your thoughts on the brief Bryce Petty, almost like Sasquatch? You saw him for a few seconds, and he was gone. I mean, there's really nothing to really say. I mean, he threw screen passes. They were really easy completions that the defense was completely ill-prepared for. Now, as a defense, a, a young quarterback comes in. You have to figure that they didn't – obviously, he wasn't practicing with the ones all week. You have to figure that they're going to come in. He doesn't have much time to warm up on the side of them, that they're going to give him some easy throws to make. You should be ready for a screen pass. So – you know, shame on Vance Joseph and that Dolphins defense for not realizing that and letting Bilal Powell get a nice screen pass. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we, we didn't see him push the ball downfield, so I really have nothing to really say positive or negative about Bryce Petty other than the fact that I do want to see him going forward. Yeah, he didn't come in and screw things up, but, um, you know, there's nothing that I saw on the field that leads me to believe that, you know, he's the guy of the future, so. Well, it's funny that you mentioned screwing things up because that was actually going to be the last point I wanted to make. Another week of NFL football and another red zone interception for Ryan Fitzpatrick. At what point, and I'm sure, and I heard a little bit of it from one of the callers who got on before we did, but how are Jets fans right now looking at the quarterback position of your team? I mean, your record is what? Now you have two wins on the season, I believe? Three. Three? Okay. So you've got three wins. I'm assuming that pretty much everyone, much like the Buffalo Bills, are just adopting the mindset that the playoffs are pretty much out of the question at this point. I mean, especially with two games against the, you know, if if you've only got three wins and then you've got two games coming up against the Tom Brady Patriots, and I feel like that's a tall order. So is the fan base getting restless and looking and saying, okay, maybe now is the time that we go and we see what we have at quarterback? I mean, Gary, you're in Jet circles. You go on the message boards all the time. You talk to so many of the fans in person because there's a good amount of Jets fans in this area. You could probably answer this question just as well as I could. So go ahead. I'm going to let you take that one. Uh, you're the resident Jets fan, Kyle. Go ahead. I mean, I'll let you do it. I mean, most Jets fans, even the, the positive ones, would tell you that you know the season's over. We have no shot. Uh, they're already worried about next year. So many people want to fire bowls. It's just complete dysfunction. You know, I saw some pe- some of the most loyal Jets fans, people that went out and took a trip to Cleveland last week. And by the way, the weather was horrible in Cleveland last week. They drove all the way out there. They flew to Miami this week. I mean, these people, they are really, really dedicated Jets fans. I saw them go and have Twitter rampages about, you know, PSLs and the fact that MetLife Stadium, and they said, quote, that MetLife Stadium is the worst stadium in the NFL besides maybe Buffalo, if I'm going to compare to all the different stadiums that I've been to. And Ah. now, yes, I guess you could say that's a shot at Buffalo, but at the end of the day, MetLife Stadium is a $1.6 billion stadium, whereas the Bills Stadium – uh, New Era Field is, I don't know how much money was put into that, but it's significantly less money. And that's a real indictment. That's a real shot at the Jets organization and the Jets stadium. And it's, it's just so much sadness right now. People don't even think that we're going to be able to get a quarterback in the draft. Um, you know, people don't think that Bulls is going to be the guy for the future. It's There's a lot of sadness right now with the Jets. It just seems like every other year with this team, we just have a catastrophic season. Last year, by all accounts, pretty good year. 
10 wins, hard to complain with that. But then the very next year, it's, you know, what, what, how many wins are we going to have this year? Five, six? This is going to be a terrible year. You know, um, we go eight and eight with Geno Smith, his rookie year. Kudos to Rex Ryan. You went eight and eight with a horrible roster. You couldn't name me a quarterback, a cornerback on that roster. Geno Smith, probably the worst quarterback in the league. He was voted as the worst quarterback in the league. Just a completely, you know, talentless roster. You go eight and eight. That's a, you know, he, he was in the coach of the year conversations. That saved him his job. And then what happened the next year? Four and 12. If you look at the last couple Jets head coaches, you look at Mangini, you look at Rex Ryan, you look at Herman Edwards, you look at Al Groh, you look at Parcells, all of them had a winning season, including Todd Bowles, in their first year as the Jets head coach. But a lot of them, Mangini, Bowles, uh, Herman Edwards, bad seasons in their second season. We haven't seen sustained success with the New York Jets. Uh, not at all. Like, you know, the Bills back in the early 90s, you had, you know, just a, a role of dominance right there. You're not only going to the playoffs every year, but you're going to back-to-back-to-back-to-back to back to back to back Super Bowls. You know, the Marino-Miami years, they were always in the, the heat of things, always making the playoffs. Nobody needs me to say what the Patriots have been doing because they've been amazing. But the New York Jets, they just even – the year they won the Super Bowl, they weren't good the year after that. They've never been able to win with consistency. They'll have one pretty decent year, and then it's bad after that. It's it's a lot of sadness around here. So hope that answers well, your question. <laughs> well, and so then, I mean, I, I get it. Everyone's down. But how about this for so something to cure your uh, your football woes? You guys get to go home, and you, you're going to have Case Keenum – in the Los Angeles Rams coming into your house to come play football. I don't know of a team that has struggled more consistently this season than them. I mean, it's uh, besides the Browns. I mean, the Browns, and then I watch, because they're a team that has talent. That's the thing that frustrates me about the L.A. Rams. They're a team that has talent, and they're just not. They're just not doing anything. So you guys have another potential win on the docket. Do you think a victory there might do something to kind of soothe some of this burn you guys are feeling right now, or do you think it's too far? You guys are too far down the rabbit hole already. Well, with some people, it will. Some people got really happy that we won these two last games in Cleveland and against uh, the Baltimore Ravens. But for me, it didn't really do anything for me. It's just you know we're just beat teams that aren't that great the Ravens suck on the road and the Browns are the Browns so it didn't really do much for me I know if we go out and win this game it's gonna actually piss some fans off because some fans just want the tank at this point so we're already looking at the draft and it's a bad well, it's disappointing to hear. it's disappointing to hear man I love those guys over there at AFC East Bros podcast you can find their stuff if you're ever curious you ever want to hear what they're all about they're on Stitcher iTunes Google Music Libsyn Libsyn is what they host on. We're on Google Music now. Let's not forget that. We just got that this week. Oh, absolutely. The Rock Power Report's moving up in the world. Speaking of which, tomorrow night, I'm actually going to be appearing on the Bills Fanatics TV show. We're going to be filming, you know, they're doing a, I guess, a recap. You know, just a season, half halfway mark through the season, kind of a recap show. And they want to talk about where the team stands. We're going to be talking about where we think we're going to go. And that is going to be broadcasting on Facebook Live. I'm going to tweet out a link to it. I, it's 
I suggest that you guys all check it out when you get when you get the opportunity. Are you doing a broadcasting skills competition? Because if the four of you could throw a chair, I think you would finish in first. Oh, absolutely. Listen, nobody if if chair throwing was an Olympic event, I don't know who could I don't know who would beat me. I don't. Even even Reed with all of his muscles couldn't beat me. I'm just I'm just that damn good at what I do. But so, yeah, definitely check that out. It's going to air on TV. I'm going to be tweeting out all the details, but that's going to be going on tomorrow. It's going to be a lot of fun. So I suggest everybody who's curious, everyone who's interested, check it out. You know, even if you can't catch it live, watch the video after we post it. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then we got to give you guys a beer watch update now that we're at the halfway mark of the uh, of the season. Chris. Beer watch. Where do we stand as of today? You've got 93 beers through nine weeks this season. Beer watch. I have 49 through nine weeks of this season. Beer watch. And that's not counting tonight's total, right? No. Because I'm looking at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I've had four. Aha. And I'm just running away with this thing. Yeah, well, this this is, come on, this is football. It's a team effort. Uh, you're right. It's a team it's effort. It's a team effort. A te- there is no I in team. I'll cheers to that, Chris. Come on. And I don't even have a drink. Woo! Just cheers in an empty bottle. All right, guys. And so next week, we're going to be doing our, you know, on our bye week, I've got kind of, I've got a piece, an expose on player injuries. Okay. Since the new CBA was signed, I noticed just year over year over year, these soft tissue injuries just seem to be piling up for a lot of NFL teams. You know, and it's it's across the it's not just isolated to a couple teams, it's across the league. Marquee players, practice squad players, you know, guys who show up for training camp. More and more players are succumbing to these injuries regardless of their their skill level, regardless of whether they're a veteran or they're a rookie. So I next week we're gonna go over with the report and we actually have a medical professional coming on the show to discuss it with us. Not only a medical professional but a, a listener. But a fan of the show. Kyle, Kyle Trimble. Trimble. The fact is, guys, I want to dig into that a little bit. And I want to have a discuss- an honest discussion about how this new CBA that the players agreed to might actually not be in their best interest. It just doesn't seem to- it doesn't seem to shake out that way. It's gonna be really it's gonna be really cool and it's gonna be something to go through. And now for you guys all, the listeners, I'm gonna do a QA. I, I-, I wanna I wanna know what you think. What we're going to do is we have a segment of the show blocked off to do reasons for optimism for the rest of the season and reasons for pessimism. And we're going to go over all of them and try to decide where the Buffalo Bills are and what we need to accomplish to get to where we need to be. Now, I'd like to hear from all you guys, whether it's by email, whether it's by Twitter. If if you're tweeting at us, you know, I want to know what you think. And I'm going to read some of the best responses we get on the air when we record. Of course, we'll post it to Reddit. Either Drew or I will do that to Reddit. If you're responding, you know, hit us up on Twitter at Rockpile Report, and whatever you're going to throw in there, just put in hashtag Rockpile Q and A. Hashtag Rockpile Q and A. I'm going to sort through all of our responses as far as what are the reasons we have as Bills fans to have some optimism going forward for the rest of the season, or for those of you who think it's already over, tell me why you think that our season is done. I want to know specifics. Get back to me. Let me know. And like I said, I'm going to read the best responses on the air. That's at Rockpile Report on Twitter. 
That's rockpilereport716 at gmail.com. And like I said, we're going to be posting it on Reddit. So we'll be checking on that throughout the course of the next week. Guys, we got to go. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the Rockpile Report.